Hello, I'm Tommy Peeler, and this is Carefully Examining the Text. And our podcast today is based on Psalm 24. Let me read these words. A Psalm of David. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? And who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood, and has not sworn deceitfully, he shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, even Jacob, Selah. Lift up your head, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. The first word after this is said to be a psalm of David, the first word of this psalm is to the Lord. The Lord is first for emphasis. To the Lord belongs the earth and all it contains. This passage, by the way, is quoted in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 26. In Psalm 50, in verse 10, God says, Every beast of the forest is mine. In the next verse, Psalm 50, verse 11 Everything that moves in the field is mine. And then in verse 12, If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all it contains. So Psalm 50 verses 10 through 12 drive home the same truths. Heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build for me, God said in Isaiah 66, in verses 1 and 2. The earth is the Lord's and all that it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Now let me explain to you what may be going on in this passage, in verse 2 in particular, as verses 1 and 2 attribute everything in this world to God, stating it is in His possession. This is a denial of the claims of others, of other gods in the ancient Near East. The people of Canaan served Baal. The people of Babylon served Marduk. They would have said that the earth belonged to those gods. The Bible affirms, no, it belongs to Israel's God, Yahweh. The text emphasizes that he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. In some of the Stories that have come down to us from those religions, 
Both Baal and Marduk win victory and become the god of all the earth by conquering the seas and the rivers. But the Bible is saying, no, the things you attribute to Baal and you attribute to Marduk, they are true of Israel's God. They are true of the Lord. He is the one who founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. But verses 1 and 2 stress the absolute sovereignty of God. He rules over all the world. In verses 3 through 6, ask the question, who can approach him in worship? Understanding that God has control of everything in the heavens, the earth, and in the seas, the question is, who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who may stand in the holy place? What is required to enter God's presence isn't any heroic feat in the sense of something that few humans can do. It isn't tied with ritual purity, but it is tied to moral purity. Verse 4 will give two negative requirements and two positive requirements to enter God's house. The two positive ones are stated first. The one who enters God's house must have clean hands and a pure heart. The word that is translated clean here is often translated innocent. He must have innocent hands. One of the reasons that God says he will not accept the worship of Israel in Isaiah's day, in Isaiah 1 and verse 15, is because your hands are covered with blood. To enter God's presence, you must have clean hands. 1 Timothy 2 verse 8 talked about men holding up holy hands. The one who can ascend to the hill of the Lord, who can stand in his holy place, is the one who has clean hands, innocent hands, and a pure heart. The Bible says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, in Matthew 5 and verse 8. Psalm 73 will talk about a pure heart in verse 1. And we'll talk about innocent hands in verse 13. Maybe an acknowledgement of these words. That the one who may ascend to the hill of the Lord, who may stand in his holy place, has to have these two positive requirements, a clean hand and a pure heart. And there are two negative things. It must be one who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood. Not lifted up his soul to falsehood. Now, if you're following the New International Version here, both of these negative references in verse 4 are going to be a reference to idolatry. In the New International Version, it says who one who does not trust in an idol. It is true that the phrase to lift up one's soul can indicate trust. I think you see that in Psalm 25, verses 1 and 2. For to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I do trust. So 
it can be that lifting up our soul to something is to trust in something. But should the word translated falsehood in the New American Standard Bible be translated in reference to an idol in the NIV? You may be surprised, you may not be surprised, but you may be, that this is closely following the wording of Exodus 20 and verse 7. In the third commandment, it's generally translated our ver- in our versions, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. What it actually says in Hebrew is you're not to lift up the name of the Lord to vanity. The point, while this statement, not lifting up one's soul to falsehood, may be forbidding worshiping other gods, it could be simply to treat God irreverently. That kind of person cannot ascend into the hill of the Lord or stand in his holy place. And the text says he is not sworn deceitfully. Now again, the New International makes this a reference to idolatry. It says not to swear by a false god. And indeed, that may be correct, not to swear by a false god. But if you look up Jeremiah 5.2, you will find that some said that they swore by the Lord God and they swore falsely. So it could indicate doing all these things in God's name and yet not serving sincerely or honestly, but being deceitful. The Bible says that the one who has clean hands and a pure heart who has not sworn deceitfully nor lifted up his soul to falsehood, in verse 5, he shall receive a blessing from the Lord. Let me tell you something about this word translated receive in the New American Standard in verse 5. It is the same word translated lifted up, the same verb translated lifted up in verse 4, or lifted up twice in verse 7 and twice in verse 9. This, this is the point that I'm trying to stress. I'm trying to stress that if we do not lift up our soul to vanity, God is said to to lift a blessing. Uh, He shall receive a blessing from the Lord. The same word that is used to describe not serving uh, falsehood is used to describe receiving a blessing from God in verse 5. If I didn't explain that well... Just focus on that text and know the word receive in verse 5 is the same verb for lifted up in verse 4. But the Bible tells us, He shall receive a blessing from the Lord, righteousness from the God of His salvation. This is the generation of those who seek Him, who seek your face, even Jacob. Now, in this particular verse, in this particular verse, I think the New American Standard is not as good 
as the New International Version and some other versions, which suggests not just seeking Jacob's face, but seeking the God of Jacob. The point is those who seek the God of Jacob, those who seek him, they will be blessed. In verses 7 through 10, verses 7 and 9 are basically the same. Lift up your heads, O gates. Be lifted up, O ancient days, that the King of glory may come in. And verse 8 and 10 are virtually the same. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. The verb lifted up is used four times in verse twice in verse 7 and twice in verse 9 and the phrase the king of glory is used five times once in verse 7 once in verse 8 once in verse 9 and twice in verse 10 so the question is asking who is lift up your heads o gates sometimes the gates of a city are used to describe the mood of the people in the city. In Isaiah 14 and verse 31, the gates wail because destruction or judgment is coming on the city. Here, the gates are being lifted up and they are rejoicing because the King of glory is entering. What is the situation behind verses 7 through 10? Very difficult to determine. Some have suggested that what may be going on is after a great victory in battle, the Ark of the Covenant is brought back into the city and brought back into the religious center of the temple or the tabernacle. Lift up your heads, O gates. Be lifted up, O ancient doors. But the stress is on the king of glory, who is strong and mighty, in verse 8, the King of glory, who is the Lord of hosts, in verse 10. And again, to claim that the Lord Israel's God is the King of glory is to deny that claim to all the other gods that were worshipped in the ancient Near East. It is to proclaim that He alone is God, that He is worthy of worship. He is the focus of this particular passage. He is the King of glory. This text reveals to us a God who has absolute sovereignty in verses 1 and 2. It reveals to us a God who asks His people to be holy, to come into His presence in verses 3 through 6. God is a God of forgiveness. God is a God who accepts us and who can forgive any sin, but God is a God who wants us to be conformed to His image as well. God's openness and God's generosity to sinners is also mixed with His holiness and His demand for ethical conduct. 
But in verses 7 through 10, our God is the King of glory to whom all nations and all people must bow. He is mighty in battle and he gives victory to his people. How does Psalm 24 relate to Jesus? God says in Isaiah 42 in verse 8 that he will not share his glory with another. And yet, John 17, 5 said that the Son shares glory with the Father. Who is this King of glory? Jesus is King and Jesus is glorious. And yet, both of those concepts are often connected in the New Testament to the cross. Something that we've said before, if you take a concordance and you look at the term king throughout the pages of the New Testament, you're going to find a heavy concentration of mentions of Jesus as king surrounding the cross. Jesus is king and Jesus' glory is reflected in the cross. Though Jesus had clean hands and a pure heart, though Jesus was absolutely innocent, Jesus was sentenced to die on that cross. Jesus was sentenced by man to die on that cross, fulfilling all that God had planned. Not be- he died not because he was guilty, but because he was innocent for our sins, for our transgressions, that we might be right with God, that we might be in fellowship with him. He is the king of glory. And may we all bow before him. Thank you for listening. And may the Lord bless you.